All right, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast, a different episode today. You could say that we purposefully don't have a special guest, but or we have a very, very special guest. Mr. Paul Revere will uh, make a featured appearance, so to speak. The title of this podcast, part one, because we have so much to talk about today, is Paul Revere, not the British, and I will explain that. We've got lots of good guests coming up in the near future. Uh, I put off Marcellus Wiley. He was on vacation anyways. Coach Norv Turner is coming on. Jeff Garcia is coming on. A whole host of other people. So don't worry, we'll get back to the guests. But this week, there's just too much to cover from some of the HIPAA controversies that are out there to the 49ers medical woes uh, and uh, what a medical staff really is or isn't responsible for versus what they get blamed for. And we'll go into that in great detail. And then the NFL versus NFLPA controversy about off-season workouts at the facility, not the financial ramifications. And then part two, we've got a lot of different things. The exciting news about OutKick and Fox, a vaccine controversy that's real in the NFL. And a lot of different rundowns on different players, including uh, Dak Prescott, some great video, DK Metcalf, uh, what happened here video, and the entertaining part two as usual. But part one, the meat of it, let's talk a little bit here. Some of you that follow along may have heard me say, I'm Paul Revere, not the British. And what I mean by that is, I actually said that once to a general manager. It has to do with misperceptions. Every Monday morning when I was working in the NFL with the San Diego Chargers, after seeing players on the field, on the sideline, in the locker room after a game, the next day after MRI, I would go look at video, but then I would go meet with the general manager and give him the report. And depending on the general manager, many times they, I was always the bearer of bad news. And sometimes, I would get the blame, right? Because I'm the guy. And that's where literally one time I said, look, I'm Paul Revere. I'm not the British. I'm just telling you the injuries are here. I didn't create the injuries. The British are coming. I'm just telling you. They're coming by land or coming by sea. But I'm telling you that the British are coming and this is how they're coming. This is the injury. This is what we have to deal with. The medical staff, myself and the athletic trainers, didn't create the injury. So I think that's one of the big misperceptions from GMs that I've dealt with, because it's natural, from fans, from fans of teams. And quite honestly, for me on Twitter, uh, a lot of times I will, as you see this offseason, we've delved a lot into baseball and basketball and other sports. And especially when it's a fan that doesn't realize what I'm doing, I kind of get the blame. Why are you saying towards ACL? What do you, you know, why are you delivering the bad news? No, I'm just giving you my impression. I'm being Paul Revere. And I think there's a big distinction about that. So before we get into talking about the 49ers medical woes and the NFL and NFLPA controversy, I wanted to go over a little tweet here just to make sure that we're on the same page here. Mike, Michael McCann, McCann Sports Law. He's talking about HIPAA. Are there legal angles here? Um, so people are talking about medical uh, privacy, etc. 
especially with draft picks. And McCann, Michael McCann, who we've had on the podcast, etc., says that, uh, and remember, it's HIPAA, not H-I-P, two A's, not two P's. Many people get it wrong. Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Journalists are not under this. They are protected under the First Amendment. And HIPAA did never included journalists, so they're allowed. So why am I allowed to talk about the injuries? I don't even call myself a journalist. I'm a medical analyst, okay? So do I enjoy journalistic protections? I don't know. But the reason why I can talk about it is on here, HIPAA applies to only medical professionals involved in a case, not blanketly all medical professionals. If I'm not involved, it doesn't prevent me as a physician to give my thoughts based on publicly available information. That's why I always say insider knowledge, not insider information. And indeed, Mike McCann, the attorney, said great point and agreed with it. So for all the people out there once and for all, what I'm doing on Twitter, social media, for OutKick and and Fox Sports Radio and Sirius is completely legal as long as I'm dealing in publicly available information as opposed to revealing secrets from uh, a situation that I have medical information on from treatment unless I get you know permission of course which you know we have done and that's good so let's move on with all that Eric Branch said two years after the 49ers fired their head athletic trainer and strength coach after a couple injury plagues season still had an NFL high 32 injury reserve this year you all remember the 49ers are really beat up and the interesting thing is uh, the 49ers head athletic trainer just got hired in Jacksonville Trent Baalke hired him uh, good guy my point is it's easy to blame medical but that's not the whole story uh, it's not that simple First of all, you have to understand memory bias, right? Um, and uh, what you see is the 49ers have been injury plagued. And most fans are injury, feel like their team is injury plagued. People only remember the negative. For example, just like people always think positively. I always get a kick out of the beat reporters across the league. And I'm not being critical. They make preseason predictions as to what the record will be. Well, it has to be 50-50, right? It has to add up to the same amount of wins and losses across the league, right? But the average turns out to be 9-7 and seven instead of 8-8, eight and eight, right? Because there's just bias about your team, even if you're trying to be objective as a journalist. Fans are biased. I remember when we had great stretches of good luck with injuries. And some of it, there are other factors, and we'll get into that. But then as soon as you have bad luck, I mean, I saw this week, people said, well, uh, you were talking about the 49 injuries. You at the Chargers had horrible luck with injuries. My last five years, we were really good. As soon as I left, we got some bad luck. That's not because I left. I'm just saying luck happens, etc. But it's memory bias. And the 49ers here, they remember all these people with failed ACLs that, that came off ACL surgery, like Marcus Lattimore, that never worked out. Uh, or some of the, they, the 49ers have drafted a lot of injured players. 
Look, uh, I thought this was funny headline. Jags bulky, shocking nobody, drafts two players who tore ACLs this year as he's the GM for uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's continued trying to get bargains, medical bargains, so to speak. So it's easy to blame medical, and there's memory bias. But remember, often medical is just the Paul Revere. We're just telling you the injuries here. We didn't create the injuries. Now, if you want to blame a medical staff, physician, and athletic trainers for not rehabbing a guy well enough, not returning him to play quick enough, I think that can be valid depending on the circumstances, right? But you have to take a look from the inside. It's very hard to judge from the outside. Was this just said to be a mild hamstring strain and really it was a grade three severe and that's why it took longer? Or was this a severe hamstring strain but that got back in four weeks and they did a great job? Meanwhile, fans are saying, why four weeks? Why so long? So you have to look from the inside. But factors in, in injuries are no question uh, prevention, and that's more the strength and conditioning staff. But a lot of times the strength and conditioning staff is focused more on performance than injury prevention. And maybe that's something that can be improved. It depends on player selection. If you're reaching in a draft and, and drafting players that are already injured or have been downgraded by medical for their medical grade, like we've talked about in the draft for certain players, then that player gets injured. Is that really on the medical staff or is that on player selection? Now, I'm not saying it's bad to, to take a chance on a player that has an injury history or injury propensity because maybe you're getting a bargain. Like the 49ers a few years ago chose Marcus Lattimore. He never really played. It didn't work out. But in the fourth round, maybe it was a bargain if he did. So I understand that. But player selection plays into it. Pre-existing injuries and patterns play into it. The style and scheme play into it. The style of a player. Is he a tough inside runner or is he a, he a speed guy to the outside? Depending on the injury, it can affect him more. And injuries beget injuries. And scheme. Certain schemes create more danger for certain players. And also talent and depth. I've often said injuries beget injuries. So what happens is, let's say you have some defensive backs that are injured. What typically happens is then the backup starts to get, let's say the starter's injured, the backup starts to get double duty. So the backup used to be playing a dozen or 15 or more special teams plays in a game and seeing spot duty at dime or otherwise, let's say a corner. Well, now he's seeing 60 plays at corner or 70, still doing special teams 15 plays, running multiple reps in special teams and starting defense, and sometimes still scout defense at practice. And there's fatigue, and depth becomes an issue. I've talked about before offensive linemen. Backups are backups for a reason. They're not as good. So backup offensive linemen tend to dig in and hold on for dear life, whereas starting really top offensive linemen continue to move their feet. And moving your feet leads you less vulnerable to friendly fire or other injury where you get your leg, knee, ankle rolled up on. 
because you're dominating the block. So injuries can beget injuries. We talked about fatigue. Playing conditions, we talked about last week. Uh, Carolina making it turf instead of natural grass. Turf has a higher rate of injury. So is are the Panthers medical staff now going to be blamed if they get one or two more ACLs or high ankles on that on the home grass, which is no longer grass, which is turf? And the biggest factor, of course, is luck. Look, I've told you before, I don't like injury prone. But there are injury patterns and injury situations that are predictable, but injury prone is not something that I love. And the bottom line is, anytime you try and blame one thing, it's just usually multifactorial. In order for me or anyone to judge which athletic training or medical staff should be fired or retained, you'd have to look case by case and really open up the medical charts and then see what happened to, to really give them a good judge. From the outside, it's very hard to tell, very easy to assess blame, and that's why I say Paul Revere, not the British, in terms of what that is. I'll give you another example. We talked about um, on Pro Football Doc in the preseason injury report, Jarek McKinnon last year for the 49ers. And uh, uh, this is the, the year before. And we talked about how we thought McKinnon was going to be the worst of the 49er running backs coming off of ACL. And obviously he had some complications and further surgery and didn't really even play that year. And that's... But then I saw in comments fans saying, well, that's the 49ers medical staff and they're to blame. Well, it depends. Did the 49ers team physician even do the surgery? Or was this farmed out or the player went elsewhere? Did he rehab elsewhere or did he rehab with the 49ers? So until you know all the facts, it's really hard to tell what the issue is. All right, so we're done with Paul Revere. Thanks, Paul, for coming on, so to speak. Just kidding. The other big topic I wanted to talk about in this first segment is the NFL versus NFLPA. Boy, that degenerated quickly, huh? Now this big fight about stay away from camp, come to camp, the whole deal. And here's an unfortunate byproduct. So the NFL put out this memo saying that injuries stay sustained away from club facilities, saying that uh, the team didn't need to pay the salary. Now, here's what I would say about that. That memo says nothing new. That has always been the case. And that is what was agreed upon in the collective bargaining agreement between the Players Association and the, and the, the league. In all fairness, players have always had the right to stay away from voluntary off-season workouts and team activities. That was their bargain right. But owners and teams always had the right to withhold salary if you got injured and couldn't play in the regular season away from the facility. That's nothing new. This Juwan James controversy where he tore his Achilles, the Broncos' right tackle, what he's undergoing is nothing new. The NFL did not invent this rule to get back at players who were trying to stay away in an organized fashion. The players, whether you got organized yourself or not through the union, 
always have had this right to stay away without penalty, except if you get hurt. Now, by the way, if you get hurt away from the facility, like Jawan James, not only does the Broncos, do the Broncos have the right to not pay you if you're not ready for the regular season, they have the right to not even take care of you medically. They don't even have to pay for your surgery. They don't even have to pay for your rehab. Now, players all have private medical insurance, just like their families do through the NFL. So Jawan James, A, he can afford it, but B, his Achilles tear will be covered. The question is, do the Broncos pay for it, or the Broncos say you have to use your own insurance to do so? It would be the Broncos' right to say use your own insurance to do so. That's how the rules work. Now, is it fair? Is it right? I think we can make that argument. Are the players getting screwed? I think we can talk about that. If I were an owner, certainly, of course, you want players to work out because on their own because the OTAs aren't completely comprehensive and they didn't start immediately after the end of the season. So you want players to work out on your own. So I get the feeling of the public saying, poor Jawan James, especially with the fact that he's unlikely to return this season. Look, uh, uh, Mike Garofalo reported, I think through his agent, that he's hopeful he won't miss the entire season. Yeah, I think that's true. Always be hopeful. And it's good to have optimism. But he isn't going to be ready till very, very late in the season, if he's lucky. And will he be 100%? I doubt it. Will the Broncos even activate him, even if he says he's ready to go? I think it'd be very easy for the Broncos to say, we don't think you're 100% and we're not activating you or passing you on a physical yet. Thereby, you can't even get back some of your $10 million salary for the last month. And the Broncos at this point do not have to pay him. You have to understand, Juwan James is very, very unlucky. He was at the facility working out, then listened to the union, and then left. And now he's tore this Achilles. In a normal year without this consternation, in a normal year without the Broncos getting a new GM in George Patton, look, he still might get paid. I've been involved in situations with the Chargers where a player, I won't say who, I didn't ask him permission, who was injured away from the facility, literally wrestling his little brother. And the team covered it and said, well, we're good. And uh, kind of because it was a player that was a great player, long in the fold, the team was loyal to the player, not a big deal. Paid for the surgery, never any issue, uh, salary issues going forward. But it's also the team right, if you're injured away, to not. And I think Jawan James is very unfortunate. He was in there, and then he left because of the union stance. And then he gets hurt. And remember, he's only played three games in the last two seasons. He opted out last year, which is his absolute right. So he pushed back his $10 million salary for a year. To this year and now he's unlikely to get it now he only played three games a season before so he was a big free agent signing for the Broncos but not for this GM so now you have a new GM who sees a big contract who sees this kid has only played three games in the last two years or whatever it was and now there's a way to 
get out of $10 million in terms of the cap. I think it's a very unfortunate situation for Juwan James uh, and uh, don't know what the uh, solution is. In any case, um, nothing's changed here. This isn't new. This is just typical NFL and NFLPA back and forth. Uh, you know, for every action, there's a reaction and so forth. Uh, right or wrong, this is what the CBA was agreed upon, and this is kind of uh, where we sit. Interesting to me that, first of all, that uh, uh, mini camps were this weekend, many of them, rookie mini camps, and it was essentially 100% attendance, which not surprising, right? You, you know, your first day at school, you're not going to be there. I mean, you know, you want to impress everybody. Your first day on the job and you're not going to be there, uh, even if it's voluntary. I mean, you're going to be there, right? Because you're trying to win a job, especially the rookies and the young guys. And I find it interesting, there was a report that over 50 Patriots players have been at their off-season uh, training activities. So it's still individual. I also find it ironic and interesting that Tom Brady, what Tom Brady apparently was on a, delivered an impassioned six-minute speech to fellow players to push the boycott and to try and modify off-season workouts. And that's his right. I just find it interesting. I mean, Tom Brady, when he joined, admittedly he was new to the Buccaneers, but last season Tom Brady was the guy, and kudos to him because it worked out for him, that gathered players against the d direction of the NFLPA during the pandemic and worked out at local high schools because he didn't know the t his teammates. And he gathered players last year in the heart of the pandemic. And this year, I get it, he's won a Super Bowl and he knows his teammates. And the Bronc the Buccaneers, as we talked about, have basically returned everybody, basically, which is unprecedented for any team, much less a Super Bowl winning team. So there's familiarity, and now he's saying, let's change the rules and let's not go to the OTAs and an impassioned plea not to. Well, what about all the quarterbacks that have changed teams? They're, they're wanting to show up, right, and do stuff. So, you know, more, more, more power to, to Tom Brady, but this smacks a little bit of if I make the basket, it's winner's outs in basketball. And if you make the basket, it's loser's outs, right? I mean, which side of the coin are you on here? So I found that a little bit ironic. Anyways, hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed that. It was worthwhile, a deep dive topics that I love to do every now and again for the football faithful, etc. We'll come back after a short break with part two where we're a little more lighthearted. We'll talk about some of the changes upcoming. We'll talk about, I think, another very important topic, the vaccine controversy, which is brewing. And I think this is a big deal. We'll analyze the pandemic in terms of injuries. There's some data that's come out. We'll talk about a pandemic first. Some more ironic things with Nick Saban. All right, welcome back to part two of this week's Pro Football Doc podcast. I hope you enjoyed that first segment. I think it gives me a chance to go deeper dive on a couple of topics there, and hopefully that makes some sense. And reach me at profootballdoc.com or at Twitter if uh, you have any other questions. I'd love to uh, answer them. So big news this week, uh, Fox... Big Fox, not Fox Sports. Big Fox acquired OutKick. And OutKick is a platform that 
we put this podcast on and I write for. And let me make it clear, nothing changes. Um, no one at OutKick tells me what to write or what to talk about here on the podcast. Never have. And um, I'm told there are no changes. So maybe there's wider distribution. Who knows? I don't think it changes me one bit here in terms of what's going on. But, uh, you know, look, when I wrote for the San Diego Union Tribune, I didn't always read and I didn't always agree with their editorials either. But I just try and be uh, authentic in my content and uh, teach you guys things and be as accurate as possible with the analysis. And that won't change. So let's get on to this other topic that I don't think enough people are talking about. Vaccine controversy that's brewing. Players absolutely have the right to not be vaccinated. Staff has the right to not be vaccinated. All of you guys have the right to not be vaccinated. I'm vaccinated, my wife is vaccinated, my older daughter is vaccinated, Christian, our podcast producer, is vaccinated. I encourage people to be vaccinated. But that doesn't take away that it's your right not to be if you choose not to be vaccinated. And the NFL is dealing with it in an interesting way. They're really trying to push people to be vaccinated. They've told staff and coaches, if you're not vaccinated, you can't have contact with players. You're not fired, but you can't have contact with players. So how effective can an equipment guy or an athletic trainer be if he or she has no access to the players? <laughs> not very. So you're not fired, but you really can't do your job. Basically, you're going to get marginalized. So that goes for coaches too. So I think with the vaccine carrot that we've talked about, everyone's going to be vaccinated, players, staff, and, uh, and coaches. But what about players? Players have the right not to be vaccinated. To be vaccinated, you have to get an injection. And injection is puncture. So only you as an individual, this goes for players too, you can always say no to someone poking you with a needle or cutting you with a knife or whatever. It's consent to surgery can never be, be forced on you as an employee or as a player. Alonzo Spellman years ago, the Bears tried to find him when he didn't want to have shoulder surgery. And of course he won that. He didn't have to have the surgery. Only the player, only the individual can consent. And it goes for vaccines too. So it is a non-starter for the NFL to say, you have to be vaccinated. Now the NFL can use the vaccine carrot and say, if you are vaccinated, you don't have to do these tests. If you are vaccinated, you can be in these meetings this stuff, which led to Brandon Bean, GM of the Buffalo Bills, to say, paraphrasing, push comes to shove, I'm going to choose the vaccinated player over the unvaccinated player. Now, I'm not an attorney, but that brings up a whole host of issues. Now, I get the practicality. Two players of equal talent, do you want one that can attend these meetings and do this stuff, or do you want one that can't? Or your team will have more freedoms if a certain percentage is vaccinated. Look, I'm not, I don't know his status, but I'm quite sure whatever Josh Allen decides to do, get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, his status won't change. But what if you're the 53rd guy on the team? 
I think your status could change. And very quickly, the NFL said, Brandon Bean, shh, can't go there. Can't go there. There's labor implications there. So that's something that's brewing underneath. What will happen if a player gets cut and, they, and he feels he was cut because he wasn't vaccinated? That will be very interesting. But here's what I think will happen. Veteran players, going back to the part one of the podcast, can exercise their right to stay away from the OTAs. The rookies and the young guys trying to make their team, they're going to be there because they're going to try and do what they can. I think it would be very difficult if you were a rookie or a young guy trying to make a team to not get vaccinated. It just isn't like a black mark. It's almost akin to when your new boss throws a holiday party, you attend. You probably change your vacation plans to attend when it's your new boss that's throwing it, right? Um, and you go happily, even though you change your vacation plans or whatever. Same here. I think all the young guys and the marginal players whose status might be affected by being vaccinated or not are all going to do it because they see the bigger picture and the benefit of it in terms of how the team will look at them. The star players, I think that'll be a different question because you're not going to change your opinion. Look, if Patrick Mahomes is or isn't vaccinated, his status is not going to change. And that probably is, holds true for the top dozen or so players on each team. But the rest of the 40, they're probably going to need to be vaccinated to comply. So hopefully there's no other controversy there. Move on a little bit here. Uh, Kevin Seifert, my friend, uh, uh, put out some injury data. This was released from the league. We'll go over it a little bit. It's MCLs, ACLs, and concussions. Let's go first and look at concussions. Preseason versus regular season, 2015 to 2020 data. This is preseason, games, practices, total, regular season, and combined. So in 2020, there's no preseason games. There was 30 practice concussions, which, you know, quick look, slightly normal but close, and that would make sense because there were a few less practices. Remember, there was a ramp-up period because of COVID, but no games. So guess what? The total is down. In games, there were 40, sometimes 50, mid-40s. So if you add 45 to 30, you're at 75. Now you're in the regular mix here. So the concussions didn't change. You just got rid of the, the preseason games, which might, concussions from preseason games, which might speak to fewer preseason games, right, in terms of injury. The regular season concussions, the total of 142. Look, there's been a little bit of a downward trend because of some of the league rules. Hadn't really changed. Regular season's the same. Total, you're down about 40, 45, which is the preseason games being gone. So there's really no change. It's just modified based on no preseason games this year. Let's look at ACLs. Same thing. No ACLs torn in preseason games. And if you look, it's been the last five years, it's been a low of 10 and a high of 18. So in the mid-teens, and there were only 11 total, because only from practice, so if you add in 15, now you're at 26, you're about where the average is. In the regular season, 
you can argue it was a tiny bit higher, look at the gains, a little less in practice, a little higher in gains. Is that due to acclimation? Maybe, but it's a small trend. And um, overall 51. You know, given that there's no preseason games, maybe this year was a little bit higher, but kind of closer in there. And similar numbers for MCLs. We won't go through it completely. So overall, it's a small sample size, but the injuries were kind of as expected. Less overall because there weren't the preseason games, less exposures, fewer ski runs, less ACL tears, less injuries, fewer chances at collisions. But overall, about the same rate, if not slightly higher because of the acclimation issues. So that's a quick and dirty summary there. So uh, since we're talking about COVID and stuff, I thought this was interesting. Uh, a little bit of humor here, so uh, bear with me. There's a quarterback that uh, Kevin Thompson that was invited to uh, try out and was signed with the Panthers for the rookie minicamp. He opted to forgo an eighth season of college eligibility. I mean... This is a pandemic first. Uh, Christian, my podcast producer, is looking at how do you get eight? Well, let me tell you how you get eight. He didn't play. First of all, he he decided not to, to do his eight. And, of course, my first thing was was this right here. <laughs> so my, I, I mean, prisoner of my age. But the first thing I thought of is is John Bluto Blutarski at Animal House. Seven years of college down the drain, you know, uh, as, as humor. But how do you get to eight? Look, a redshirt year, you know, uh, uh, a medical redshirt year, uh, a graduate year of transfer eligibility, and a COVID opt-out year that kicked on. That's how you get to the eight. You get the four, and then a redshirt, a medical redshirt, so four, medical redshirt, and then the I'm a graduate student, so I get an extra, but I opted out. So that kicks over. That's, but, so it's never happened before. That's how you get an eight. But he's not utilizing it because uh, he is uh, now with the Panthers right now. So I just thought that was an interesting situation. Uh, let's continue to have some fun. More ironies. Uh, Nick Saban was talking about why Dylan Moses fell in the draft. Apparently had an ACL tear. He's saying, what's the big deal? He played five games. I didn't examine him. Maybe there's some articular cartilage damage. Maybe teams felt there might be some long-term issues or problems, so he fell. But Nick Saban had an interesting take. He pretty much just said, well, I don't know why. I mean, he played football, so he's fine. And then he brought up Drew Brees, of all things. Uh, uh, you know, so he talked about grade four medical grades, and I can uh, explain that, meaning that five is a fail, four is downgraded but not failing, and that might have been what Dylan Moses was. But he said, don't forget, when I was coach of the Dolphins, doctors failed Drew Brees on a physical. And from that time on, Brees made 14 Pro Bowls and whatever. But Nick Saban, can you pick a better analogy? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you left the Dolphins right after that and abandoned them right after you said you would be there now you've made a great career for yourself in alabama but i just find it interesting that he's still kind of 
or ironic, but he held a little grudge about that and a little dig about that. And it was kind of interesting. All right, let's do a run through. You want to go to Pro Football Doc Live at Pro Football Doc. We have all this stuff up there if you miss any of this. Dak Prescott says uh, he could play in the game right now. Yeah, I agree, but there's no way he's 100%. Alex Smith played in a game, and he wasn't himself, right? And he did a great job, but he wasn't himself. And now he's, kudos, he's retired. Dak Prescott can play in a game. Can Dak Prescott be Dak Prescott today? No possible way. Will Dak Prescott be Dak Prescott again? Yes, come the start of the regular season. I believe he will. But to say that he's all issues behind him now... We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He still was favoring that ankle, and that's understandable. He's got three-plus more months. He'll get there, and he'll be okay. Uh, big news. Eric Fisher signed a one-year, $9.4 million deal with the Colts. So let's digest this. Is he going to be ready week one? I don't think he'll be 100% week one. He, got it. he heard it in the playoffs. Could he be ready week one? Maybe. Will he be 100% week one? No. I mean, he was the first pick in the draft in, I think, 2013. $9.4 million is a healthy contract. Why is it a one-year deal? He wants more. This is a prove-it deal for him. If he were healthy, he probably could get a multi-year deal and more. But since he's coming off the injury, it's a one-year deal. It's still a healthy deal. So I think he, this is a good signing for the Colts. But don't count on him being 100% week one or early season. He'll get there down the road, though. I thought it was interesting. The Chiefs uh, drafted an offensive lineman. They said they're completely comfortable with his medicals. But he had blood clots. I mean, the, the Chargers had a left tackle with blood clot issues. Many a player has retired due to blood clot issues. But it depends on why the blood clots are there. And some of the issues are solvable, so hopefully... That kid will be fine. And in terms of injury trends, right now, here's the part of the season where everyone says, I'm fine, everything's great, a la Dak Prescott. That's the time of the year. It's also the time of the year for people to come out with the, did you, did you realize how hurt I was last year? And I'm not hating on anybody. We wrote about it at Pro Football Doc. Stefan Diggs played in the postseason with a torn oblique muscle. He had rib issues, oblique muscle issues. Yeah, I believe it. But this is how the time of year these stories come up. They don't come up during the season. This is the time of year of how healthy am I today? Look at how great I am, even if I'm not 100%. And also the time of year to admit how unhealthy you were last year because it's behind you now. And uh, Stefan Diggs, so I don't make too much of this. Um, Joe Judge. Daniel Jones played through serious injuries that would have sidelined most. Like I said, time of the year. Uh, we talked about his injuries where I thought he wouldn't play and he wasn't 100% and just this time of year. No, nothing big one way or the other. As we go through these, let's go through some of the uh, video stuff here. Actually, what I want to go through next is LeBron James. We talk basketball and then we'll go to, uh, oh, before we even talk basketball, check this out, football. I thought this was amazing. DK Metcalf. Which one is he? Pretty obvious. The biggest guy there, right? I mean, ran in the USA track and field for the 100. Let's check him out. That's obviously him in, in lane two. 
kudos, man. The, the guy finished last, but look at him out of the blocks. He's pretty darn good. Now, he finished ninth, but he had a very respectable 10.36 time. What is he, 6'3", 225 pounds or something? I mean, he's 50-plus pounds heavier than the other competitors. He looks look like at a girl. He looks like a grown man running in a youth race. He, I mean, he looks like Andy Reid in that pump, pass, and kick contest, right? I mean, that's what he looks like. But here's what I'd say. But look at this start that he has. He's out of the blocks first. He's up there first, 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 first early. This is probably 20, and he's up there. And he's up there till about 40 yards. NFL runs a 40 time, right? I mean, and he's among the world's elite or the U.S. elite at it. And he's that big. So I'm impressed with this performance, even though he finished last. And kudos, he wasn't afraid to do it. Now, at 100 yards, he slows down, right? But look, he still only barely gets edged at the tape. That's a pretty good effort from the big man. So kudos to DJ Metcalf. And uh, LeBron James now is reported to come back finally. It's an interesting saga. We talked about it a little bit last week. This is why athletes, I think, speak it into existence. I'm healthy. I'm fine. No issues. It was unusual that LeBron admitted the truth that he wasn't there. That as he gets older, he'll never be there. 100%. I found it interesting, though, and let's just bookmark this or earmark this, that we talked about this last week, his approach. And I'm not saying that his approach is wrong. It's just unique compared to other superstar athletes. But I found it very interesting that Lakers head coach Frank Vogel on Friday said LeBron won't be with the team for the next two games. And it's not injury related. I don't know what that means. Does he have a personal issue? Which, God bless him, and, and with all due respect, he doesn't need to tell the world. But I found it unusual that Frank Vogel would put in and it's not injury related. Or... He could have just left it as that. Is it injury-related or not? He could have just left it blank, but he said that. So I don't know what's going to happen. He's apparently back now. I'm interested to hear his comments this week as he's back. But I think it's an interesting developing situation. All right, so let's, uh, let's go and uh, go through some of the videos, what happened here, other sports here. First here, this is... Uh, Runyed Odnor, I don't know if I'm saying the name correctly, the second baseman of the Yankees. This was a popular video. Watch his knee on the collision here. Left knee, he's trapped and hyperextended, leaves the game. You'll see another angle of it where it almost looks worse than this. And thankfully, he's okay. He's already returning to some baseball activities. But let's take a look here. He gets trapped in the hyperextension of the knee. A lot of people were tweeting and saying ACL tear, but uh, don't think so. And the good news is, based on how his foot slipped out, how the knee didn't give out, it was hyperextension and maybe a little bone bruise, as we thought, and he's going to be okay. His season is far from over. Very similar to this basketball player, uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Scary-looking injury here. Right there. Almost a Jalen Smith type injury, but didn't get to that extent. 
and in theory he does not have structural damage either so sometimes injuries look scary but they don't mean the end of seasons his ACL was indeed spared and this is reminds me uh, if you guys think back to and I didn't pull it up sorry uh, when uh, 76ers fans went crazy when Joel Embiid hyperextended his knee and, uh, and we thankfully correctly said he didn't tear his ACL. And obviously the, the 76ers Philly is in uh, first place in the East uh, headed into the playoffs and Joel Embiid is indeed back in playing. And the final one, look away if you don't are soft of heart here, it's not, but this was quite the punch here from Canelo Alvarez in the big fight. And kudos uh, to his opponent for not just quitting immediately. Like he looked like he was still trying to fight a little bit there. And uh, turns out he had a facial fracture from that one blow, an orbital fracture. And you can see the immediate swelling on that eye. And uh, that usually is not a great sign. And the lots of reports of surgery broke his face, orbital fracture here, but let's not go too far. I mean, career hanging in the balance? Look, maybe because if you get hit like that, will you have the intestinal and mental fortitude to get back in there? I get that, I wouldn't. But this isn't and should not be and will not be career ending if Billy Joe Saunders doesn't want it to be career ending. Just like we talked about in the last couple of weeks, uh, Chris Weedman in the horrific tip fib fracture. Just like previous to that, uh, Anderson Silva with a horrific tip fib fracture, kicking UFC, kicking the guy's leg and breaking it. Billy Joe Sanders should be okay. Uh, mentally, he's got some hurdles, but physically, he could and really should be okay going forward. All right, guys, we try and keep everything to a 45-minute total. Thanks for watching Pro Football Doc Podcast.